Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to Challenge Radio. On this edition, we'll be going over the editorial. Russia. Bosses, internal weakness drives fascism. The short-lived mutiny of Russian mercenary highlights the growing volatility and sharpening threat of fascism and world war as rival imperialists compete for global supremacy. On June 23rd, Yevgeny Prigozhin and his state-funded Wagner Group rebelled against Russian President Vladimir Putin and his military leadership, seizing the southern Russian city of Rostov-on-Don and advancing within 120 miles of Moscow. While many details are still unknown, Prigozhin's plan clearly backfired, with no backing from within the government or military, or mass support from soldiers or workers, the rebellion ended in failure within 24 hours. Even so, the instability shown by Prigozhin's mutiny is driven by the same crisis of capitalism that's pushing the gangster imperialists ruling the U.S., Russia, and China towards World War III. As competition among rival imperialists intensifies, so does their desperation. Fights within the ruling class are escalating, as we see in the clash in the U.S. that is playing out in the Supreme Court and the 2024 presidential race. None of these capitalists will hesitate to sacrifice millions of workers in the coming world war. The only way out of this imperialist hellscape is for workers to turn their guns around against all these bosses, join the revolutionary communist progressive labor party, and turn imperialist war into communist revolution. Capitalist instability leads to world war. Just as in the U.S. and in every other capitalist country, there are splits within the Russian ruling class. Billionaire Yevgeny Prigozhin heads the Wagner Group, a private military contractor that Putin was glad to use for nearly a decade to project Russian imperialism throughout the world. Wagner has most been active in Syria, Mozambique, Libya, Central African Republic, and Mali. In 2014, following the U.S.-backed Euromaidan coup in Ukraine, Wagner was instrumental in the Russian annexation of the Crimean Peninsula. Since war broke out in Ukraine in 2022, Wagner forces have been a major part of the Russian offensive. The limits of the unity between Prigozhin and Putin were exposed during the recent bloody siege of Bakhmut, which was led by the Wagner forces. For months, Prigozhin had openly criticized Russian preparation and execution of the war. With no honor among capitalist thieves, Putin replied by letting Wagner lead the attack on Bakhmut, but withheld supplies, 
dooming the mercenaries to tremendous losses. Capitalism is based on competition, first and last. This reality rots all the way into the bones of every part of every capitalist state, without exception. Prigozhin personifies Vladimir Lenin's analysis of the basic instability of imperialism over 100 years ago. The deepening political and economic chaos of capitalism, as Lenin noted, is reflected everywhere in capitalist class. Until the working class overthrows the capitalist bosses with communist revolution, world wars are inevitable. Nationalism equals loyalty to imperialism. Like all imperialist warmongers, Russia is using unrelenting nationalist propaganda to win political support from workers for the war. Nationalism is the poisonous idea of unity between workers and bosses in a given nation. But the Russian boss's reliance on Prigozhin, like the U.S. boss's reliance on Blackwater mercenaries in Iraq, reflects weakness. In both cases, the rulers need to rely on soldiers for hire instead of politically committed fighters. To correct this weakness, Russian and U.S. bosses are constantly lying through their teeth with cynical propaganda to build nationalism and win workers to support their empires. Especially galling are Putin's references to the communist-led Soviet Union's victory over Nazi Germany as he claims to be denazifying Ukraine. Yes, the Ukraine army integrated neo-Nazi militias, the Azov, the Idar, and the 6th battalions into their National Guard, which then received training from the U.S. Army's 173rd Airborne Brigade. But the murderous hypocrite Putin had no problem with the fact that the Wagner Group, now officially integrated into Russian Army, openly recruited white supremacist militias like the Russian Imperial Movement and Russian National Unity. Workers have no good choices between the Nazis of Russia and the Nazis of the Ukraine. We say, smash them all. Fascism, a violent shift out of weakness. Internal divisions and threats from rival imperialists are destabilizing Russia, China, and the U.S. As the imperialist rivalry propels the world toward a potential nuclear weapon-fueled World War III, capitalists in Russia, China, and the U.S. are compelled to impose order and discipline on their own class and also upon the working class. This is the essence of fascism, the stripping away of the mask of liberal democracy to expose the bloodthirsty, nationalist, racist, sexist forces that lie at the heart of capitalism. By contrast to the division and disunity among capitalists in the U.S., the dominant Russian boss's ability to discipline their ruling class opposition 
is far more developed. After the Soviet Union imploded in 1991 and the Russian rulers lost rich territories such as Ukraine, they responded by hollowing out their pretense of liberal democracy and restored to more open fascism to claw back their diminished empire. For years, Putin has exiled, jailed, or murdered political opponents like Alexei Nelvani while hammering workers with racism and drowning them in blood to reassert Russian control over Chechnya and Georgia. Progressive Labor Party believes that the liberal big fascists of U.S. finance capital, fronted by politicians in the Democratic Party, represent the greatest danger to our class. Despite their weakness and internal divisions, this set of bosses is best equipped to impose discipline on other capitalists that we see today in Russia and China. Fight for your class, not your country. Join POP. As challenge goes to press, youth and workers across France are in armed rebellion against racist police murder, showing the international working class the way. If workers around the world are organized to fight with bravery and militancy of our class brothers and sisters in France, under communist leadership of PLP, we will dump every Prigozhin and Putin and every Biden and Trump into the dustbin of history. We will liberate the international working class by creating a society led by and for workers, by organizing solidarity with the rebellion in France within our unions, classrooms, and mass organizations, we'll advance the internationalism we need to smash all imperialist bosses. Only by building a mass PLP and fighting for communist revolution can the working class smash racism, sexism, nationalism, and imperialism once and for all. Join us. Ay, Manuela, ay. 
Welcome to Challenge Radio. And I have some comrades gathered with me today, so let's get right to it. Were there any immediate takeaways from this article? Well, I think the main takeaway is that we shouldn't take a side. We don't have a dog in this race, you know, and uh, that we shouldn't take a side in the boss's war. You know, currently there is one loser and that loser is the working class. And it's not just about the people dying there. Obviously, you know, there are a lot of Ukrainian Russian workers, but also I think it's important to remember that there are a lot of sanctions. Basically, the entire grain market is is messed up. So the, a lot of people uh, are, aren't able to get food, uh, especially in Africa on that basis. Yeah, I would just say um, as a main takeaway off the bat is that, you know, the Russian ruling class is perhaps not so, you know, monolithic as, you know, I once thought maybe, you know, that, that applies to our party's analysis, PLP's analysis, a situation that, you know, I think this gives a little more, shines a little more light upon, you know, fractures in the surface of what we've more recently identified as a more cohesive ruling class when compared to, you know, European ruling classes, and especially the United States, characterized by splits. Yeah, the article mentions that this split is driven by the crisis of capitalism, just like the split in the United States. What What is that referring to? Can we clarify that a little bit? You know, as shortly put it, I would just say that the the world is really getting smaller for these imperialist powers. They're butting up against one another you know, more frequently on these different continents. And I think at the same time, their system is really contracting blocks of capital you know, you've got a falling rate of profit, crisis of overproduction, all these things that have characterized capitalism, you know, since its inception, basically, or, you know, once it moved past any kind of productive phase. And there's more signs of, of desperation, of, of lashing out, and more potential, you know, for a conflagration of, of conflict, you know, not just in a proxy war style, but actual, the big, the big dogs going at it the big imperialist powers. Yeah, I think it's really important for people to understand that imperialism is not the ruling class being mean or greedy. The underlying contradictions in capitalism, um, such as automation replacing workers, and that means there's less profit in the products they're selling. The only way out of that is growth. The only way out of that is conquering, taking resources, taking cheaper labor. So this is a necessity for the United States capitalists, it's a necessity for the Russian capitalists, and it's a necessity for the Chinese capitalists. Until capitalism is destroyed, they're going to be hurled more and more into each other's spheres of influence, and that's going to lead to uh, hotter and hotter conflicts, with eventually being uh, a major world war again. And that's, that's what described the last world war as well. Yes, and cynically enough, I would say too, you know, with the destruction that comes with a major conflict like that, you know, the, the victors get to destroy blocks of capital and build it back up and that gives them a little bit of a lifeline i mean you saw that after world war ii the united states the marshall plan was able to essentially become the preeminent force around the world because so much of the other you know developed capitalist world lie in ruins i think it's important to emphasize that yeah like everything is is organized around profit and that implies growth and if they 
if an individual capitalist doesn't uh, seek more investors and consumers, they die and they, they're replaced by somebody else. It's how, you know, everything, uh, how success is measured in our society. And, you know, we don't have to, to always get into each individual capitalist's, you know, desires. Maybe some are trying to buy a second house. Some are, are just greedy or some of them, you know, they're, they're maybe paying for their child's education, another a cocaine habit. But ultimately, it's all about accruing more and more. It's all about accumulation. That means getting more consumers, and that means trying to get more people into the Western markets, and that includes Ukraine. So the U.S. media had kind of a field day with this. Uh, they were very, very excited for a couple of hours before they realized it was going to come to nothing which is kind of a sick display on their part, but what meaning should we take from their response and what does that mean for the American and the global working class? Yeah, I, I was just reading this article over, this editorial over with some some com comrades prior to this recording and that's something that really came to my mind. Like they were they were all ready to jump on. It was just like 24-hour coverage. It seemed like they were, they were giving this. And I think, you know, for them it's a way to kind of shore up the public opinion. And we know this war is really slogging on and it's a really, just a really wretched, bloody affair that's really going and, uh, you know, lots of territory gains and then lost on both sides. And, you know, obviously we know the workers are being crushed in between, you know, the ultimate loser. But I think, yeah, I think it helps them to, to shore up this public opinion, this perception that, you know, Putin is cracking under the pressure, the public opinion is falling around him. And maybe in some ways that it is, but it also might be a lot of, you know, wishful thinking on their part to make it look like their efforts are succeeding in the way of, you know, arming Ukraine, the bosses in Ukraine to the teeth and all these sanctions that they have laid on the Russian ruling class, Russian capitalists. The Western ruling class is constantly, um, they are constantly working against all of their respective enemies, their, their capitalist enemies, in this case, Russian capitalists. And so they're very quick to side with people who are enemies of them, um, regardless of how many people die from that. It's kind of disturbing how quick the ruling class started cheering on Wagner and Prigozhin um, you know, we almost got whiplash because, you know, we hear about how, you know, Wagner, they do pull from fa fascist militias, white supremacist militias. And then like all of a sudden, you know, because it's politically convenient for a moment, uh, the, you know, they're supporting them or that they, they're at least say, oh, this is a neutral thing, you know. Yeah, exactly. It reminded me of the U.S. alliance with Al-Qaeda in Syria is sort of whatever the, it doesn't matter how brutal butchers or murderers or death squads, the United States seems to be able to make its peace with anyone as long as it serves U.S. imperialist interests. Wagner Group and Bergosian are, are mass murderers and have absolutely no, nothing politically to offer the working class in Russia. But the, United, the U.S. imperialists see this as an opportunity and so they have tried to lead the working class in the United States to cheer this on. And I think the only way you can look at two brutal would-be dictators duking it out at the expense of thousands, perhaps millions of Russian lives is if you try and paint the Russian people in general as inhuman and deserving of um, being tossed into the civil war. 
which is sick. I mean, we, we support uh, workers uprising because we know that the working class can build something that's good for workers. And certainly Prigozhin or Putin have nothing to offer workers. Uh, but apparently Prigozhin in this one instance had something to offer the U.S. imperialists. So that was all, it, all they needed. There's no honor among thieves. I mean, they've shown themselves, like Comrade said, more than capable of flip-flopping the sides to back us, the latest enemy in the conflict was, was not playing ball. You know, that's that, that's in stark contrast to the, the principles of communism where we don't just opportunistically or, or for careerism switch sides, you know. We're constantly working to build communism. And that, that doesn't mean siding with one capitalist or another. I mean, a lot of soldiers, you know, the reason that they're in this is usually because they're either afraid of the other enemy more than their own bosses for one reason or another, or because they're getting paid, you know, but there's no, there's not the same kind of commitment other than like hollow flag, flag waving to their respective armies. I mean, what we really need is a, is a worker's army. The workers have nothing if they don't have an army. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and it, was, it was making me think about, there was a number of people who correctly opposed U.S. imperialism. And when the war in Ukraine broke out, they were confused because they were tempted to support Russia as sort of an anti-U.S. imperialist force. This article makes it clear that the PL position is to turn the guns around. The workers should turn the guns around. They should fight their Russian commanders. They should fight the Ukrainian commanders. And U.S. soldiers should fight their U.S. commanders. Help me make sense of that. Isn't it a good thing to, for the U.S. imperialists to find a uh, opponent in their sort of land grab in Ukraine? I think a lot of it comes back to how do we build a communist movement? And does working for bosses, you know, the, this horrific bloodshed, you know, carrying out their own profit ends, does that build a communist movement? I don't think it does. And I think a lot of people get in this mindset of lesser evilism and utilitarianism, where they're, they're measuring exactly, you know, what is the ratio between bombs dropped and hospitals built? When we all know that, you know, all of these bosses are, are a lot more concerned with profit and dropping bombs than, you know, helping people and building hospitals. We need a, a change of a system. And ultimately, taking a side in the capitalist war does not change the economic system. You know, we can organize within their militaries and try to uh, turn around the guns onto their generals and, and their capitalists and, and bureaucrats, but we shouldn't be actively supporting, you know, the Ukrainian capitalists, the Russian capitalists, the EU capitalists, or the American capitalists, or the NATO capitalists. Yeah, I think when you're building for communism, you're building for revolution, a worker state, an egalitarian society, you can't separate the the ends from the means, I, I think, you know, and it's not to trivialize the very, you know, real suffering and immediate suffering that's going on in so many places of the world. A lot of people really desperate to find a way to to staunch that bleeding in the absence of a massive international movement. But I think, you know, time and time again, you know, the harsh truth, the harsh reality is that if you go, you know, for the quote unquote lesser evil, for the means of expediency, you know, it backfires or in many ways, you know, the situation and the bloodshed can intensify. 
I think, you know, as difficult as the task is presented in front of us, you know, we have to stick to our principles and really build that class consciousness and, you know, the necessity of turning these imperialist wars, these proxy wars into class war, into civil war against these bosses. And I think what this story did, you know, it shows, I think it, you know, reinforces the fact that, you know, it is difficult for us, you know, living in the Western hemisphere to get a lot of information on Russia. But, you know, I do believe out of Ukraine and Russia, they're all workers who are questioning this conflict, questioning the deeper roots, the motivations, and what the outcome will be and, and understanding it's not going to serve them. So, you know, however difficult the task, I think, you know, we can be shining light on that and the sense of real international solidarity, which is occurring in that part of the world and other parts of the world that needs to be expanded upon and connected to a bigger mass movement for communism. Yeah, I think the example of World War One and what Lenin was able to accomplish in Russia is very instructive on this. I think uh, there were a lot of left groups, pseudo-left groups in Russia and all over Europe who were tempted to support their own national governments in that war. And that sort of led to the destruction of the left in Germany. Um, and there was a lot of left groups that were semi-popular in Russia who supported the Tsar's war effort because they believed that the Tsar was less bad than the Kaiser. And the only group that knew better, who understood that the working class was not going to be served by the war, and that a strong, starch anti-war line, in fact, a revolutionary defeatist line, was the correct line were the Bolsheviks. And by the time the nature of the war was revealed to the working class in Russia, the membership of the Bolsheviks exploded because the history caught up with that line. They, the workers came to see the correctness of that. And I think we need to copy that in this era. We need to be saying that between the United States and Russia and China, there is no one that serves the working class. The working class needs to create its own strength and its own force. And that we should be always working to undermine the war efforts wherever we are. Any final comments about this mutiny? It's very important to emphasize that we don't have a horse in this race and that, you know, like even if Ukraine wins this war, hypothetically, if you if you are one of those people who really shills for Ukraine or Russia for that matter, but, you know, in this case, Ukraine, they will be in, in incredible debt. That's one thing that's not mentioned in the article, but they've been taking out a lot of IMF loans and a lot of loans for the purposes of military. And they're going to be, you know, their sovereignty is going to be trampled on regardless. Um, so there's so many levels of perversion and, and horror that go into this war. Yeah, I think I, at one point we just have to say no. You know, we don't want the capitalists destroying the earth for all these resources and, and destroying us as humans. You know, we need to build a better society uh, and say no to uh, Prigozhin, Putin, Zelensky, and we got to build a communist movement. Yeah, just agree. No retreats from this struggle, as difficult as it was. You know, there there was a lot of difficulties and folks that you're talking about that were you know straddling the line and you know unable to really take that kind of class conscious perspective of these major these major conflicts and you know just falling into that that trap of lesser evilism. It's a very I think cynical anti-worker line to take that, you know, this is the best that we can hope for. I still think, you know, that, that lesser evilism, you know, leads to, especially since it's, it's 
you know, pro-capitalism is a capitalist reality, it's going to lead to one set of workers or another being attacked by whatever new ruler supplants the old one. One last thing. If you really believe in this lesser evilism and you call yourself a communist, when, when are you actually going to advocate for what you believe in? I, I think it's important to actually have a conversation to worker, workers' revolution, not siding with the bosses. And just to add with what my comrade said, that I don't feel like we're actually having that conversation with workers for workers' revolution. Well said. That's why we're in the party. I mean, it's, it's a daunting task to try to take on by ourselves, but through the means of organization and a party, we can apply the line in a more collective way and be able to win a wider range of workers to these ideas. So it's not a struggle that we go alone. It's a struggle that we obviously carry on with our comrades and, and workers who are close to us. The article ends with a recognition of the uprising that's occurring in France. The police murdered a 17-year-old teenager, Nal M, in a Paris suburb. And since then, thousands of workers have been arrested in a militant uprising against it. So I want to just take a moment to say, to voice our support for that uprising. Um, good luck to everyone out there. Stay safe. Make them pay. Um, we support you. We're behind you. And you're setting a great example for the workers across the world. Yes, it's a, a very militant, anti-racist uprising because where that occurred is, from what I understand, the working-class suburb, black suburb, North African suburb, where police routinely harass and, and maim and murder black workers and youth. So all the more important and pressing with that. And I think, you know, France has been a hotbed of struggle. I mean, you've had, you had the struggle of Yellow Vest, which is now a, a couple of years old, but against rising fuel prices and cost of living. You had this pension struggle that was going on. If workers in France tie all these threads together and see them as part of bigger crisis of capitalism, you know, and, and build into something like a general strike, I think the struggle could take on a whole nother dimension, a whole nother, whole nother level of, of inspiration and movement that we could all be learning from and it could very well affect the, how this struggle is unfolding in Ukraine. I just to reiterate, I mean, it's, it's so beautiful that it's a, a multiracial struggle which is what we need. We need a united working class, you know? Yeah, united, multiracial, and anti-racist. It's very inspiring. Thank you all for joining us. Please head over to plp.org to read the rest of the, to read the, rest of the recent issue of Challenge. Um, come find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Good luck to you all, and, and we're behind you. Solidarity. Solidarity. Yeah. Dare to struggle, dare to win. Fight for comments. Fight back wildcat, read all about it Get your challenge here Challenge the communist paper That's right, the communist paper Fight back wildcat, read all about it Get your challenge here Workers are-
Yeah.